Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, so today is uh, one of our favorite times. It's Q&A with Stephen Kay. I know it's supposed to be next month. But we're traveling next month, and we don't, we didn't want to just give up this time to do this with you. And so we switch swapped, uh, healing Sunday and Q&A Sunday. And Pastor Bob is going to be ministering on healing next month, the second Sunday of next month. And I promise you, I am going to listen to it multiple times because he is full of it. If anybody in this church is full of it, Pastor Bob is full of it. And I mean that in a good way. Alright, so we are going to, uh, um, I hope that you have come desiring to have the Holy Spirit do things in your life and your heart. My guarantee, my promise, my money back guarantee to everyone in this room and everyone out there, to the degree that you come desiring, is to the degree that your desire will be met. If you seek, you'll find. Jesus said that. He's not a liar. No seeking, no finding. And I'll be honest with you, a ton of folks go to church and they're just doing that zombie church thing. Like it's where you're supposed to be on Sunday. And then they get nothing. And then they blame me. Because I'm a terrible pastor. For real, y'all. It happens all the time. And they'll be sitting right next to someone who is getting nuked into a pile of <laughs> curdled milk. And they're going to be, and they sit there and like, what's wrong with this person? No, it's not what's wrong with them. It's what's right with them. To the degree that you come expecting and open and yielded is to the degree that the Father can meet you. The scriptures say, draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh to you. So if you, that'll preach. I'm not preaching today. I'm answering questions, but that'll preach. I strongly and lovingly encourage you to always come here prayerfully, expectantly, and humbly. Not because I like want the like coolest church in the world, but because I want the Lord to be able to do in your heart what He wants to do when you come. And then I don't have to counsel anybody. Praise Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit can just fix everybody. Amen. And Kay and I can finally go on the anniversary that we're supposed to go on this year that we didn't get to go on because of the COVID. I have a personal vendetta against the COVID. That's why I lay hands... Lay hands on everybody that even says that they've got any symptoms whatsoever. You got a symptom? Come here. COVID. <laughs> Cost me my vacation trip. All right. So uh, this is uh, going to be an awesome time together. Directly following this, I know Bob said this. I assume. I didn't hear him because I was doing my own thing. Um, but uh, Scott and Tanya. 
Scott's like one of the most like flamboyant guys ever. It's only by the grace of God that he's staying seated because he would love to jump up and like completely show off. That red in his face is the fake tan he was doing last night, not not embarrassment. Loving you. Scott and Tanya uh, have had an incredible, incredible encounter with the grace of God. Uh, so much so, and they're going to talk about this later, but what was the divorce anniversary? On September 5th, they had a court date to be divorced. That the judge was pretty particular about them showing up for. Because it had been carrying on for a long time. The last pastor they had said that they were toxic for each other. And the pastor told them and encouraged them and convinced them to sign divorce papers. Just so you know, I'm not that pastor. <laughs> former pa- All the former things have passed away. Behold, everything's become new. Um, and today, in the rugged barn, they are going to renew their vows to recommit themselves to the marriage that the Holy Spirit is desired to give them for all this time. So in three months, in three months they went from being toxic for each other to being one flesh recommitting this afternoon. And the amazing thing is, is all of you weirdos are invited to their wedding. Talk about the grace of God. I don't know which of you I'd invite. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do Q and A. Do you need this one? All right, so uh, this—the reason that this is uh, one of our favorite times—is because um, I'll be a, I'll be a little transparent. I guess sometimes you got to be. Hey, you guys are beautiful up there. <laughs> Isn't it great our church is so full, folks have to escape to the balcony? Jesus said, uh, if you build it on the rock, if you build it on the revelation of um, what the Father has given us, that Jesus Christ is the Lord and He is the Savior of the world, Jesus made a promise that says that if you do that, I will build my church. Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, that takes all the pressure off of Steve Castle to build Steve's church. Because <laughs> Steve's church sucks. Jesus' church is awesome. And so I just need to focus on that, and then Jesus gets to do that. So welcome to the church that the Jesus Christ has drawn you into, and all of you people that have come from such a long way off. You are incredibly blessed. I promise you that what you commit to the Lord, He is able also to keep. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the reward. Amen. (sighs) Hallelujah. Alright, so uh, the reason that... um, Here's the transparent part. Kay and I talk a lot incessantly about our desire to invite literally everybody over to the house, but invite you over like in intimate ways. And I know some of you have been there and some of you have not. If you have not been invited, it's not because we don't like you. 
I need to, this is why I'm, I'm saying these things really, really cautiously because somebody's going to be like, oh, why isn't, we are getting to you. But there's a lot of people that have been kind of fresh in the last six months. And so we're trying to get to you. And plus, we only have so many days that we can, because we don't want to just invite you over for an hour and have lunch and say, well, thanks for coming, you know, get out because we've got to do somebody else or something like that. We want to invite you over, over and over. Like, spend the night, hang out, have a jammy jammy jam. Pray in tongues till midnight. Now, all of a sudden, a bunch of people don't want to be invited. Make me last, Pastor. Loving you. Um, until we have the opportunity to do that with everybody in the church and everybody in the future church as the Lord grows the church, this is something that... Um, that we really genuinely look forward to because we get to hear things that are going on in your heart and questions that you have, which helps us grow more intimate with you until we get those opportunities, but then also helps the family as a whole grow more intimate together. There's no such thing as, a, as, a, um, as an ignorant question to the Lord as long as your heart is for real. Because some people answer questions to kind of show how how smart and intelligent they are, some people actually genuinely have questions. And whatever um, at whatever place you are, be mindful of the fact that the Holy Spirit has an answer to every single thing. You might think like there's no way out of this. <laughs> you are just silly. <laughs> like that's what the Lord specializes in. When you think there's a way out, is when it's you're in a dangerous place because you're going to probably try to get yourself out. Which makes you the Savior and Jesus can't. So the more often you are in a mess that you can't get yourself out of, the more likely you are to throw yourself on the mercy of God and trust your Father. And then He does this miraculous, supernatural, amazing, incredible thing, which is He gets to be your God. Amen. All right, so we uh, have a runner. Is that you, Pastor Bob? Whoa. Uh, when he comes to you with the microphone, protect yourself from the glory that is emanating from him. <laughs> you go to an- you go to ask a question, and then you fall out in the spirit. Then we got to go on to the next person. And... All right, so whoever has the first question, you're up. Hey, everybody, thank Chris. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, hold on, let me tell you why. Uh, if you didn't notice, the entire foundation of Beloved Church was kind of falling apart. It's old. This building is a hundred and I don't, I can't remember, a hundred and some odd years old, um, and the foundation was built out of limestone. And you know, obviously, limestone. It's not like the church is falling over, but that stuff kind of erodes a little bit. Chris spent all day yesterday. He's a mason masoner, um, and he spent all day yesterday fixing our foundation and making it so that it would stop falling apart. He strengthened our foundation with his. He was pointing up to Jesus like Jesus did it. No, I promise you, bro. If Jesus did it, it'd be even better. But but you did a great job. Uh, he doesn't live in me, Steve. So give me these hands to do his work. So. 
and just so you all know, when you when Chris and I are standing together, you'd think like, hey, these two are brothers. We are, and we aren't. Yes, you guys know we brothers, really. First, I want to say, Kay, I love your boots this morning. They look sharp over there. <laughs> like they were actually a gift from the church. Too. Yeah. So, so um, thank you, family, for, you know, the foundation, uh, you know, hands clapping. But, you know, really, it's, it, it is him. And he, he shows uh, he shows my heart. He shows all of our hearts. So when we see something wrong, that we are to step forward to take care of that within people, within our lives, and with things around us. So that's what happened. That's how that took place. My question for my family on the, on the stage up there is, hmm. man, this is going to be a hard question. Yeah, wow. If it does this um, to him asking the question, what's it going to do to us? Right? In, in my newlywed marriage here, which is awesome, oh, that's right. we've kind of... Uh, and, which I can share with my other friends over here. Hold on. What? <laughs> so I just told you about Scott and Tanya getting super wrecked by the grace of God and them doing what they're doing with their uh, earthly future and the covenant of marriage. So Chris and... <laughs> they had the same thing happen. It's like, I don't know, it's like a communicable <laughs> non-disease that you catch at Beloved Church. You come around, you hang out for a while, and your marriage gets awesome. So, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> so they were divorced. And uh, the God of all things redeemed their marriage and in was it July? It was May? Man, that's been a while. On May 31st, we stood in my backyard at my house in Pearl City and I as an officer of uh, the kingdom of God and as a licensed and ordained minister under the state of Illinois. I married them in my backyard, in my grass. They picked flowers from my front yard. So if you're looking for like that regular, like rigid plastic church, you are in the wrong building. This is the kind of building where you'll come over to our house after supper and like, hey, you want to get hitched? Yeah, let's get hitched. And we did a wedding ceremony in our backyard <laughs> that was inspired by the prophetic. I prophesied over them, and they came, and they humbled themselves to that prophetic word and got married in our backyard. We had a whole thing. We took up an offering, collected money for them to bought a wedding ring, and it was an incredible experience. And so I'm just letting you know, that was because they humbled themselves. Look how all these threads are going together. They humbled themselves to a prophetic word, and they allowed the Spirit of God to do what He wanted to do. So, Chris and Missy are on their the journey of what it's like to be under the grace of God and be married in a covenant that will never die until one of them dies with their last breath. So, praise God. Thank you. All right, now you can ask a question. I'm trying. As we are stepping into something new here, 
and we're trying to get rid of all that old stuff that has tried to come back and continue to come in there. Um, we've, we've kind of gotten a bit complacent. And we got, this week has been one of those weeks where we wake up every day and just get into this routine of getting ready and go to work. And it's chaotic because it's just a worldly routine. And it's not about him first. And my question is, how can we, how do you guys take that opportunity to get out of that so that we can have a more divine, healthy marriage with him first? Because there's nothing else that's going to make it that way. There's no one else that's going to make it that way. And we just want to get out of that routine. And I, and I hope that any other marriage family in there that is having that can look at this and, and take that. Because it's not healthy. It's not... It's not, um, it's not loving. And uh, we just had a phenomenal hug up here in front that we didn't have all week long because of that. It was just kind of just the routine of race. The race of the world, basically, was in place. And that's not what I want. That's not what she wants. That's not what we, as a body of church here, want. Because this is not a worldly church. This is a heavenly church. So my question is, how do we break that cycle? How can we move forward from that? I already know how. I already know the answer. Basically, you know the answer, but maybe some steps, maybe some guides. Yep. That's what I'm looking for. All right, baby, you start. I'm actually going to start. If anybody knows still, how to fix a marriage, I'm st- I'm still processing. So you're going first. Sorry. <clears throat> All right. The first thing I want to say is that this is probably a pretty interesting segue into the fact that we're talking a ton about marriage and covenant and all that kind of stuff. I do want to announce that. Um, the weekend of Valentine's, so February, whatever that is, I think it's the 11th, 12th, 13th, something like that. We're going to do a three-day marriage um, retreat. Uh, we're calling it the Covenant of Marriage Weekend. Um, that Kay and I, and I'm, uh, I have some friends of mine that specialize in talking about marriages that are going to come. Um, any of the couples, any of the married couples that would like to go and advance your uh, the opportunities for the grace of God in your marriage, you are invited. I'm currently looking for, and maybe somebody knows, I want to get a place that we can be that has a conference room, that has either hotel rooms or staying rooms, so we can all be on site all together, do it all together, experience it all together. I have an incredible plan that the Holy Spirit has dropped in my heart to make that. So I just want to kind of throw that out to you, uh, dangle a little lure on a hook, uh, so that you can look forward to uh, making that. Uh, save the date. Save the date on your calendar for those of you that want to have a more grace of God in your marriage. Um, the second thing I want to say that this, there isn't anything different here as there is in any other area of your life. If your marriage is not perfect, then it's the same thing that's going on in any other area of your life. If your souls, if your emotional life is not perfect, if your finances aren't perfect, if your health is not perfect, if whatever area that is, it's the same root. It It takes on a different flavor, but it's the same root, and it's sin. 
Now, I know a bunch of you are like, oh, God, that word. The reason that people react that way when I say that word is because they really honestly don't know that word. The word is homardia in the Greek, and it's a noun, not a verb. And people just cannot process that because they've always thought, if you've grown up any bit at all religious, you think that sin is a verb. It is not. It is a noun. Person, place, or thing. It's an identity. And it wants to hang on. That old identity that everybody has, your old identity in marriage, your old identity in the way you live your life, your old identity in how you think about yourself, that identity does not want to go away. And the identity is, the definition of sin is to miss the mark. To miss the mark. What mark? Well, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. The general mark is... The glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans uh, th- 6, uh, 6.23 For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody's had their nature and their identity fall away from the nature and identity of the glory of God. The word glory in the Greek is doxa and it means of high value or of high opinion of high value or of high opinion. So when you put all this together, all have allowed an identity, a nature, that has made them fall away from the high value and high opinion of God. I just gave you the the amplified version of Romans 6.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. People read that and they're like... But if you read it based upon understanding what all those words mean, it's like, yes, now I get it. For all have fallen in their identity, in their own interpretation of who they are, from the mark of God's high value and high opinion, His high value, His high opinion. This, I, so... The same thing that happens in your finances, the reason that you are not operating in perfection in your finances, me too, I'm not quite there yet, is because there still is an identity problem that I have with allowing the Lord to make me wealthy. And some of that is just religion, because religion teaches you the broker you are, the more holy you are. There could not be anything farther from the truth. Because God is the richest person in the universe by far, and He's also the holiest person in the universe by far, which means that those two can actually work together. In fact, I'll say this, really honestly, the more holy, the word holy means separated or set apart unto God. The more separated and set apart unto God you are, the more likely you are to control a financial environment. Because God can trust you with it. Some of the wealthiest people that you may never know that are good Christians are really some of the holiest people. Because they know, they know that wealth is something they're supposed to control and not be controlled by. Most of the people in this room, you're controlled by wealth. And I know that nobody wants to amen me because you don't want to admit it. But if you go to a place you don't want to go and do something you don't want to do for 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, you're controlled by a system. You serve mammon. I'm talking to all those 
people out on YouTube land, you YouTubers. <clears throat> what we all need to realize in our marriage, in our finances, in our health, the reason that most of us are sick is because the commercials and the radio and everybody in this universe is telling you that you need to be sick all the time. It's flu season, it's cold season, you need to have allergies because the flowers are blooming. Are you for real? You think that your God created flowers to bloom and it would make people sick? You've got to realize that's demonic for sure. Anyway, um, all of these things come from a fallen identity that's still attached to the curse that Adam allowed to break into our world. So I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. Hopefully this will decimate it. And this is the same thing for marriage. It's the same application. It says in Colossians 2, 6. Uh, Colossians 2, 6. Hey, Deborah, Colossians 2, 6. <laughs> she said to me before service, Hey, make sure you say your scriptures loud and don't just blow by them so I can put them up. <laughs> As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. So the way that you came to the Lord to receive salvation on your born-again moment is the way you walk out your salvation 50 years later. And the problem is is that after people are like a year or 10 years or 100 years into the body of Christ, they're like, I got this, Lord, stand back. I'll show you how to do it. And then their Christian life like goes downhill. This is why... People have actually created this philosophy that there's a honeymoon time. You come to the Lord, then everything gets really awesome, and it's, yeah. And then, you know, as you go in, it kind of... Jesus isn't the kind of groom like they are on Married with Children TV show. It gets better and better as the days go by. It gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. If you went on a honeymoon with Jesus and you came off of it, I can assure you, if you go back to your honeymoon place, He'll be waiting for you there. Because He's still on the honeymoon. It's more love. It gets better. It gets deeper. It gets more intimate. It doesn't get less. So as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, those of you that are in here, that came from super crazy, amazing, jacked up lives. You were high, drunk, still dripping with the filth from whatever person was in your bed from last night. You smelled bad. You were terrible. You came to the realization that you needed some help. And you threw yourself on the mercy of God because someone gave you the good news that Jesus went to a cross for all of your stupid. And you humbly and willingly And thankfully came to the cross and you received the new birth and he birthed you fresh and everything passed away and it all became new. And then, God bless you, you poor, poor sucker, you went to church. And they taught you how to live legalistic. And you better do this 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 and you better do this. And it went from... To uh. And then you've been doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. And you didn't, you're not experiencing the same thing you experienced, which is why people say there's mountaintops and valleys. If you're having a mountaintop valley Christianity, you're at the wrong theme park. <laughs> Jesus don't want you to go to Six Flags. He wants you to go to heaven. Heaven is high. And it stays high. 
That's where you're seated. So if you're having a roller coaster experience, it's because you're going from heaven back to earth, back to heaven, back to earth, back to heaven, back to earth, and you need to stop doing that. That is schizophrenic Christianity <laughs> at best. Don't do that. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So as you receive the covenant of marriage, as you receive the stripes of Jesus, as you receive the fact that he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Bam. Um, he became poor so that you through his poverty might be made rich. He became poor for you. He became sick for you. He became sin for you. He became everything that you were so that he could make you everything that he is. First John chapter 4 verse 17 says that as he is, so are we in this world. Not in some other world. So Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to start at 1. I know I'm going, I'm sorry, sis. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? The verse right before this in Romans, the last verse of Romans chapter 5 says that um, where sin does abound, so where a broken, fallen nature abounds, grace does much more abound. So the more jacked up you are in your nature and your identity, of how fallen you are, the more grace that the Father is releasing to you right now. (laughs) That's exciting. And so then verse 1, after that statement, verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin, noun? Shall we continue in the fallen nature and the fallen identity that grace may abound? Because some people do. Some people find out about the grace of God and they say, well, I got the grace of God. Jesus bore all my sins, past, present, and future. He set me free from the power and the control of the actions of sin and the nature of sin. So I'm going to do what I want. People do this all the time, for real. They hear about the grace of God. They hear about the love of God. And they say, well, God loves me. I'll sleep with who I want to sleep with. I'll live any sexual life I want to live. I'll live. I'll use any chemicals I want to use. I'll find anything that blesses my little fleshy self because Jesus bore my sin. And you're free to do it. Sin all you want. Jesus loves you the same. You can, you can go straight up. You can have a needle in your arm lying naked in a bed with 50 people and die and go straight up. That's how much God loves you. That's how powerful His blood is. You're ignorant. You're a brat. You're filled with pride and arrogancy. And for me, if you really, truly had experience with the grace of God and the love of God, the thought of standing at the foot of the cross while Jesus is bleeding and dying for you and urinating on Him just to make sure He really gets it all. So you're free to sin. You're free to live whatever sexual lifestyle you want to live. If it feels good, do it. If that's how you want to live your life, that's fine. Stand at the cross, urinate on Jesus. He loves you. That's tough truth. But it, it is, that's how it is. Your sin can't take you out of your nature. 
just like your righteousness or your holiness before you were born again could put you into the nature. You're only born again because of what Jesus did. You only stay born again because of what Jesus did. But if you truly, it'd be the same thing like if I brought <coughs> K a bouquet of flowers. I went out like the bouquet of flowers of all bouquets, like a million dollar bouquet of flowers. Like I saved and saved and saved and saved and, and worked hard and worked my fingers to the bone and, and da 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 and, and hit it and did all that and, and got her a million dollar bouquet of flowers. And I bring this million dollar bouquet of flowers and I said, baby, I love you so much. I can't wait to spend the rest of our lives together. Doesn't matter what you've ever done in our lives. I love you. I'll never stop loving you. I, and I give her these flowers and she's like, wow, this is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for how much you love me. Thank you for how much how valuable I am to you. So anyway, I got a date with my boyfriend. See you later, hubby. And she goes and has all the fornication she wants to have. That's how that's how some Christians live. They're like, "Wow, thank you for loving me, Jesus. Thank you for the grace." That frees me up to go do whatever I want because now I'm forgiven. It's not true. Really, honestly, if I give Kay a million dollar bouquet of flowers, the normal natural response for her would be to, wow, you didn't have to do this. I'm so blessed. Thank you so much for loving me. And she is going to be compelled to want to love me more. Not because she's a, a gift person, but because that gift expresses my heart. And when you see what the Lord has done for you, you will want to live incredibly holy. You will want to, to live your marriage the way that you were created to live it, which is you loving her like Christ loves the church. And her honoring you like the church honors Christ. It, it's not a duty to do. It's a joy to fulfill. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The next verse says, God forbid. That's the closest you can come to in Kone Greek to cussing as you can get. That word, God forbid, it's as close to cussing as you can get in Kone Greek. God forbid. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Double H-E hockey stick. No. How? Now this is a question. How could we live in sin if we died to it? How could you have a bad marriage if that was something that was attached to the cross? How could you have bad finances if that was something that was attached to the cross? How could you have sickness or disease if that was something that was attached to the cross? How is it possible? The next verse says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized, the word baptized means submerged or immersed, completely saturated. If you were submerged, immersed, completely saturated in Jesus' death, Then the next verse says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, even so, even so, even so, even so, we, that's us, beloved. Even so, we 
should also walk in newness of life. You don't have to. You don't have to walk at all. You can get born again and sit on your can and eat bonbons on the couch watching Netflix and just let the sewage of the world flow through you. You don't have to walk it. God loves you. Sorry, little butt, but you don't have to. Now, if you want to walk it out, all the great and precious promises that Jesus died to give you, they will manifest. If you don't walk it out, you'll still have the same great and precious promises. They just won't manifest because you don't believe them. To the degree that you're walking things out is the degree that you are actually believing it. I can check your checkbook register and find out whether you're actually believing God to supernaturally control your finances. I heard that one. (laughs) God bless you. If you believe that God wants to touch your finances, it is going to look like a life of generosity. If you're in control of your finances, good luck. Hope you got a rich uncle that's on the deathbed. And even then, it says in Proverbs, it says, Wealth gained, uh, wealth gained by ill-gotten ways destroys the owner thereof. And those of, you, those of you that are older, at least older than me, um, you know people that have gotten inheritances or a, a sum of money or an insurance settlement or something. You know people, you can name them, that got a bunch of money and it wrecked their life. Because there is a curse on money that is gotten through ill-gotten gains. God doesn't want you to not gamble because he doesn't like scratch-off tickets. God doesn't want you to gamble because if you get money that way, that will become your source. Therefore, we should be walking in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So if you died with him, and there are some people in this room, and I know there's people that are out there that haven't died. You're thinking about it. Um, Let me say this real quick. Jesus did not come to make your life better. He didn't come to fix or modify your behaviors. He didn't come to be your self-help guru. Your personal trainer in the Spirit. The purpose of Jesus coming here was to kill you. He was an assassin from heaven that came to kill your nature. On the cross forever. And unless you let Him kill you, you can't have His nature. So if you're playing around with the idea, just die. Knowing this, verse 6, Romans 6, 6, please commit to your heart, Romans 6, 6, knowing this, not everybody knows this, and this word knowing in the Greek is epinosko, it means a deep understanding, revelatory knowledge. Knowing this, your old man is. Those of you that think that you have an old nature, or an old sin nature, an old... Whatever, whatever your language is, people come up with all kinds of goopy stuff. I hear people talk all the time and I have to bite my tongue and sometimes it makes me bleed. 
because I don't. I need to be nice. I need to be kind. But there are so many people that have so much faith in their old nature that they resurrect that dude every morning. You're resurrecting the wrong dead. Knowing this, your old man is, is crucified with him. So if Jesus can still be the old Jesus, then you can still be the old you. But if Jesus can't come back down out of glory again and be born of a virgin again, like good luck finding one in 2020 anyway, if he can't do that again, then neither can you. You follow me? You're dead. When you get it, when you know it, you're going to let what's dead be dead. And then you're going to live what's alive, which is Him. It's the same thing in marriage. It's the same thing in your emotional life. It's the same thing in your physical health life. It's the same thing. Any area of your life is the same way. As you have received Christ Jesus, Lord, so walk ye in Him. So you need to understand the poverty part of you, dead. The sickness and disease part of you, dead. The emotionally jacked up, broken, this is just the way I am personality, dead. All dead. All dead. I can smell the rotting carcass. And I'm telling you, like some folks, when I, when I try to minister to them one-on-one, it's, like, it, oh, it's overbearing. I can smell the carcass. And I want to be like, can we please put that nastiness in the grave? And they come in carrying it, kissing it, necromancing it, loving it, and carrying it around like their little trophy. No, this is my broken part of me. I love the broken part of me. The broken part of me is my favorite part. Then we sing songs about how broken we are. And worship and glorify our brokenness. And we wonder why we live a broken life. And then we pray to God to give us unbrokenness. And then eventually those people get mad at God because He doesn't unbreak them. When 2,000 years ago, He killed your brokenness. He did His part. Walk in the newness of life. Ephesians 4.24 says that you need to put on Ephesians 4.22 says that you need to take off the old man. (laughs) Sorry, sis. Ephesians 4.22. Ephesians 4.22 says you need to take off the old man, which is corrupt. It's corrupt. It's broken. And there's a lifestyle attached to that broken. The word conversation in the the King James is the word lifestyle. You put off the old lifestyle which is attached to the old man. You put it off. How many people pray to God, God, please take this away from me. God, please take these cigarettes. Where is He going to take them? There's no smoking sections in heaven. God, please take these bad desires from me. Where is He going to take them? How is He going to take them? You praying to God to fix you, it's like it makes Him like culpable for your brokenness. He fixed you at the cross. You look like Jesus. 
But if you go up to the mirror and you take a magic marker and you jack it up and put pimples on it and draw in gray hair and wrinkles and, and brokenness, if you, if you write all that on the mirror, you could still be Jesus, but every time you look in the mirror, you see your version of you. Clean the mirror. This is the mirror. <laughs> this is what you look like. Put off the old lifestyle that's attached to the old person. You put it off. And then it says in the next verse, it says, Be renewed in the spirit, in the attitude of your mind. Which is exactly what Romans 12.2 says. That you need to be conformed by the renewing of your mind to the transformation that Jesus has already given you. And then verse 23 says, Put on the new man. So this is a two-step thing. You've got to take off the old. And then you put on the new which is created in righteousness and true holiness. <laughs> Woo! Created in righteousness and true holiness. Not granted. Not like smothered on. It's not frosting on a cake. You are righteous and truly holy. <laughs> truly holy. Just to make sure you can't jack it up. Well, I'm kind of holy like I'm the fake human holy. Uh, Truly holy. Like God threw an adjective in there just to deal with your argument. You are righteous and truly holy. Well, no, I ain't. Fine. Take it up with God. Don't you dare send me an email. Because I'm not going to argue with you. If you're going to argue about it, argue with Him. Because He says you're righteous and truly holy. If you don't like it, then tell Him off. Don't tell me off. I can't change it. I didn't write it. To the degree that you believe that, you're going to walk that out. In your marriage, in your health, in your finances, in your... All these things take place in your soul. Did that... Was that enough time for you to think? (laughs) And I cut myself off, y'all. On the inside, you got me like juices flowing. Love this subject. Now to you. Okay, just making sure. It's on you, baby. Um, I actually love those moments. Um, I didn't always love those moments, but I come to that realization where, crap, I'm missing it. Can I say crap? I just did. Usually they thank you for saying that, saying words you shouldn't say up here. So I guess now you're rubbing off on me. He's not saying anything. I used to hate those moments when I realized, like just like you said, I was missing the mark. And I used to let the enemy condemn me over them. I used to condemn myself over them. But now I'm just like, yeah. I see something that can be better, and my daddy's going to take me to a better place. And so now I'm really encouraged, like, oh, man, I'm going to get a new revelation. I'm going to get a new understanding. I'm going to learn how to, how to be more intimate with my father. And so it's, it's just so exciting that you guys are having this moment. You guys are having this moment where something needs to change, and daddy's going to sow something new. And that's just awesome to me to think that, man. I get to I get to have another layer revealed to me about how to walk this life out, how to be more like Jesus, how to love my husband better. And it's just a matter of taking that step back and saying, Okay, Daddy, show me. 
Show me how this is going to work. Show me what I'm going to do. And it's awesome. As a married couple, you can do that together. You can take a step back and say, okay, how can we slow down? How can we not let the busyness of our lives and the busyness of this world um, disconnect us? And it's, it's awesome. It's great. It's just one more way of how it's going to show you how your marriage can work and how you can do that together. You can go off and pray separately and, and talk to him about what can I change, Father? What can I do differently? Then you can come together and be like, okay, we are going to stop this and we're going to move forward in something better. So just glory in those moments. Praise your Father for those moments that he's going to show you something new and something better for your marriage, for your family, for your relationship with him. It's just, it's just those are like some of my favorite moments with him is realizing he's got something bigger and better to show me. That's a big deal, and I, I want to make sure that nobody misses that. There's two ways to deal with you missing it. You can condemn yourself, shame yourself, guilt yourself, and run into the devil's lap and let him beat you down for the rest of your life. Or you can say, hey, here's an opportunity. It's your choice. So here's one of the cool things. When you, when you desire things to get better, when you desire that from your heart, you realize that's the Holy Spirit. First John chapter 3 verse 3 says, everybody that has this hope in them purifies themselves. It's a godly thing for you to want a godly marriage, for you to want godly finances, for you to want divine health, for you to want... Div- all. That's a godly thing. You need to let that encourage you. If you're, if you're... Listen, if there's some jacked up areas in your life and you're okay with it, that's dangerous. That's crazy dangerous. That is the most dangerous thing that you'll ever have. When you know things are not right in your life and you're just letting it go, or you're justifying it or verifying it, you're lost. You are lost. And barring the grace of God and Him coming into your brokenness and finding you and rescuing you, that is... And I'm telling you, I I try to help people like this all the time, but there are so many people that are so arrogant that they know that it's not right and they will literally defend it. They'll keep their little demon and they'll protect their little demon. And then when I'm trying to get them free, I become the enemy. And it's not something new like a Steve Castle thing. It says in Galatians 4, uh, 15 or 16, it says, Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? This is how I can find out where people are a lot of times. When I say truth to them and they get mad, I'm like, okay. <laughs> there it is. And people don't want the truth. This is why a lot of people aren't going to like call me up after this and say, Hey, Pastor, uh, can you tell me some things that I can change about this area of my life? Sure, I'd love to. This is why I don't get those calls all night, Sunday night. A lot of people are like, Hey, 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 hey. Leave me alone. It's fine. I'll change. Over 40 years. Okay, have fun with that. And on your third divorce and when your kids hate you and your, and your drug addiction gets overwhelming, then they call and reach out for help. You don't have to let it get that bad. You don't actually have to hit the bottom. A lot of people say that. Like, you gotta, they got to hit rock bottom. 
There, just so you know, there's no bottom. It's called a bottomless pit. There's no bottom. If you're waiting to hit bottom till you bounce back up, the devil is laughing you all the way to the bottom, to the end of the pit. Because there is no bottom. It says in Proverbs chapter 6, I think, it says that um, there is no satisfaction to hell. Just like there's no... Uh, as long as you keep giving fire fuel, fire will never out-consume itself. And it's the same thing with hell. As long as you keep giving hell opportunity, it will take you deeper, 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 deeper. Alright. Next question. Kind of. I just always have something to say (laughs) ask this time so since my baptism I am on fire and I'm God told me to get up every morning and read the Bible and I have been and it's absolutely amazing and I love it and there's a lot I don't understand and some of it I'm like okay I don't need to know that yet there's a lot that I think I do need to understand still so I'm not going to call myself a toddler because I'm not a toddler but I have that childlike excitement that just wants to run and not always listen to hold on a second you're not ready for that yet (laughs) so as I'm witnessing to more people and wanting to share the good news um, how do you balance the humbleness of wanting to do what your father's asking you to do um, and keeping that voice off that tells you you're being very arrogant you I don't know if I'm even saying it right, but I want to do all of this stuff, but I don't want to do it wrong. And I'm going to step out. What if I make a mistake? What I know he can work all things together for good, but do you have advice as you're excitedly growing into the position God calls you to be in in that journey? Ready? You better go first, and we'll see if we. James chapter 1. Verse 21. James 1 21. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. I know that's terrible, King James. Um, this is one of the reasons that I, I like the, me personally, I like the King James, because when you read a statement like that, you're like, do what? Um, lay apart all filthiness. The word filthiness means pollution. So if you think about pollution, pollution is something that's added to something that's good. The air was good, and it got polluted. So lay apart... What is bringing pollution? Uh, This would be like cancel your Netflix subscription, turn off your cable news. It's polluting. And nobody likes this stuff. I I know. I'm sorry. But that's fine. Just let the pollution stay. But this says you've got to lay it aside. 
<clears throat> and superfluity of naughtiness. Superfluity is abundance or overflowing, and naughtiness is, is wickedness. So now wickedness, that's another one of those words that you hear in Christianity, and you're like, oh, wickedness. So wicked means twisted. If you have a wicker chair, it's a twisted braided chair. So it's not wicked like you're just a complete whatever. It was something that was good that was twisted. So if you put this together, pollution, something bad added to something good, and then the abundance of twistedness in our society, because in our society they say, hey, if you're a guy and a guy and you love each other, you can be married. That's twisted. You told God, no, you don't know what you're doing with marriage. The Supreme Court knows what they're doing. People's feelings are more important than what God says. That's twisted. And our society does this. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but, but Satan doesn't come up and just like bald-faced lie to you and say, like, God hates you and you need to shoot yourself with a gun in the face. It, no, it's not like that. It's just a little bit of twisting, a little bit of twisting, a little bit of twisting. And eventually, over time, people will, like, the current generation that is in college right now, 58% of them think socialism is a good idea. There are literally millions, tens of millions of dead, rotting carcasses in graves that died defending this world from socialism. And now 58% of America, one of the nations that gave millions of lives to stop socialism from coming to our... Now we have an entire generation that is... Pro-socialism and communism. It, that's the slow twisting that takes place. And it's in abundance. So you've got to lay aside the pollution and the slow twisting that takes place. So now you understand the King James. And receive with meekness. The word meekness is in a sister word to the word humble. This has come up a bunch today. It takes humility to receive the engrafted word, which is able, that word, so those things that Stacy's learning through going through the word, those are things that are able to bring healing and salvation to your soul. Now, we just got out of soul success, and I know a ton of people didn't get all the stuff that I was trying to preach, but this is one of those really important truths. All of the problems in your life emanate from your soul. And all of the benefits that you can have desire to have are going to flow through your soul. So to the degree that your soul is healthy and you're allowing your soul to be healthy is to the degree that you're going to experience the blessings and the benefits that Jesus Christ died to give you. So this word, these things are able to bring, the word save is the word uh, sozo in the Greek and it means heal, protect, deliver, it's like the word of all words. And this is the engrafted word. When you allow that word to be engrafted in you, it's able to bring healing, deliverance, health, wholeness to your soul. And then the next verse says, um, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Check this out. This is why. You know, you've heard preachers probably tell you for years and years and years. Do it. Do the Word. Do the Word. Do the Word. But they don't ever tell you why. They don't finish this statement. Here's why. Because you'll deceive yourself. And I, I can't preach this. I want to. 
<laughs> but I can't preach this, so just let me say the, just let me say these real three quick things. And I know I'm going to say a bunch of stuff, and you're going to be like, Ugh! but you'll have to come to me later. There's three ways you can be deceived. Satan, duh. Um, and I'll be honest with you, if you really are a a true, pure-hearted Christian, and you really are living a healthy Christian lifestyle, and you're really seeking after God, Satan really honestly isn't even a part of the mix. Like, you've already completely defeated him. He's, he's under your feet. Like, it's not him. And I know a lot of people, like, this is really, especially all the people that are like spiritual warfare people, like, no, we have to fight against Satan. You do. Okay, let me, let me say this real quick. You know what warfare means? Warfare is what happens when two undefeated nations go to battle. So if you're doing spiritual warfare, that means undefeated Satan is fighting against undefeated God. Which means you belong in the Old Testament because Satan's been defeated. So there's no such thing as spiritual warfare. Moving right along. So, if you're a healthy, good, Jesus-loving Christian, Satan is probably not the place that deception is getting into your life. So there's three. So Satan is probably not it. So then what are the other two? The first one is people. And i got news for you. A ton of folks in this room, you got way more honor and value and respect for other people's opinions than you do God's. And I'm sorry. Uh, see, I didn't call anybody's name, so nobody can be like, you said that to me. No, I didn't say it to you. If it hits you, that's the Holy Spirit. You can, <laughs> you can fuss at Him. But you, a lot of people have way more respect. I know people that don't go to church because they're kids. To value your kid more than Jesus? <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't value your children more than Jesus. Unless your children are your Savior. And there's only one person who can say that is Mary. So unless you're Mary. People. People deceive you. Hey, listen. They deceive you on purpose. (laughs) And some of those people that you think are your friends, like their literal job in your life is to deceive you. I know this, I used to be that guy. I was the guy that talked to all the girls into sleeping with me. By telling them how pretty they were and how valuable they were and how wonderful they were and all that. Because I was a jerk. I was Satan's messenger. And so I convinced girls to sleep with me and the way I did it was by deceiving them. I became Satan. Just so you know, the word devil in the Bible is the word diablos, which means... Hello? Which <laughs> Diablos is accuser or deceiver of the brethren. Whenever you see the word devil in the New Testament, it's not like Satan. It actually means like deceiver or accuser. I was the devil. I was the deceiver and the accuser in those girls' lives. I deceived them. And I stole from them something that didn't belong to me. Their self-worth, their value. To consume it upon my own lust. It actually talks about this later on in the book of James. So that's the second place that deception can come. The third place that deception can come is from 
you. Deceiving your own selves. This is the worst one. If you know the devil's deceiving you, you just rebuke us, sorry, but kick him in the tailbone and throw him in the hell. Whatever, move on. If someone else is deceiving you, rebuke them, cut them out of your life, move on. If you're deceiving you, and I'll say that this is really the most prominent one in the body of Christ. Well, I don't have to do that stuff in the Bible because I don't really need to have that stuff. Well, I don't need to believe for divine health because I have a doctor. I don't need to believe for God to do stuff in my finances because I'm okay. I got, I got my needs met. You selfish thing. Deceiving your own selves. This is why you have to do the word. Because it will stop you from deceiving yourself. <laughs> I'm going to let Kay answer, but I hope that that resonates. That's why I, I, would, I would tell you it's better to do it and do it wrong than to not do it. I'm telling you, God has... Think about it, those of you that are parents. <clears throat> when your kid's learning how to ride a bike... You know they do it wrong, right? They're doing it wrong. They're probably doing everything wrong. They're balancing wrong. They're looking the wrong way. They're holding it wrong. They're moving. They've got their head wrong. Everything is wrong. But they're doing it. And eventually if they do it, they'll do it right. And when they fall over, you'll pick them up. You'll kiss their boo-boo. And you'll put them back on the bike and they'll be okay. So it's Okay. To get on a bike and do it wrong and fall over, God will kiss your boo-boo, He'll heal your boo-boo, and He'll put you back on the bike, and eventually you'll be doing tabletops. Those of you that used to BMX, tabletop, never mind. Do it wrong. Either Do it. If you're moving, God can help you. If you're stationary, God can't help you. It's like a boat. If a boat is sitting in the water and it's not moving, you can turn the helm 360 degrees. It won't change the boat at all. But if you're moving just one knot and you turn the helm, that whole ship will move. So God could be in control of your helm, but if you're not moving, there's not a whole lot He can do for you. But if you're moving and He has the helm, man, look out. So do it. Make the mistakes. And here's the cool thing. Hey, beloved, here's how we're going to be. And I'm the founder of this church, so I get to say this. Here's how we're going to be. When your neighbor in this church moves and messes it up, you are going to encourage them. You are going to congratulate them for actually doing something. You're going to give them mercy. You're going to give them grace. You're going to, you're going to pick them up. Dust off their boo-boo, kiss their boo-boo, put them back on the bike and say, go get them, sister. That's what we're going to do. Amen? Amen. All right. On you. Thanks. She's getting her Bible open, too. Look out. (laughs) Okay. Sometimes my concordance just doesn't want to cooperate with me. Um, Steve shared quite a few things that I wanted to say. Um, really? So I'm just going to piggyback. It's just how it works. Huh, I found it. 
She figured out how to work her Bible. This is another example. If you yeah, keep I, trying, you'll figure out how I'd to I'd rather have a pa- my paper Bible. All those, all those people are like, well, I read the Bible all the time, and I just don't get it. Just keep reading it. It'll come. Um, but when he was talking, just for me, it's the word being teachable. Like that we that that's one of the things that we all need to be is teachable. That we I just like Steve said, just do it, do it, and then God will teach you through it. After you've ministered to someone, after you've encouraged someone, you know the Father's going to say that was great, but maybe next time we should do this. Or you know I was speaking to your heart to do this, but you didn't trust me, didn't listen. Like just be teachable. Just let him as you step out and as you. Um, do something he's asked you to do, he's going to show you. He's going to teach you. He is a good father. Every good father, just like he said, teaching you how to ride a bike. Mom is teaching your kids how to cook. Like That's part of him being our father. And Jesus went through this process as well. So I was um, in Luke 2.52. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus increased. He was teachable. He was learning from his father. Father, how do I walk this out? So as long as we're humble enough to, to step out and do what he's asked us to do, and then after we've stepped out, say, okay, Father, is there anything I can learn from this? Can I grow from this? Is there something I can do differently next time? Was I not hearing you? Like, just, just to be teachable and to be humble and to be okay with, I didn't do it perfectly this time, but, man, there's going to be a next time. There's going to be a next time, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to learn just like Jesus. Amen. Just like Jesus, I'm going to learn and grow. So. One of the reasons that people don't do, like, the Great Commission, um, and, I, and I've dealt with this. Listen, I've dealt with this with ministers, pastors of churches and ministers. So if you're out there and this kind of hits you, just you're in good company. Um, I know ministers that don't lead people to Jesus. Pastors that don't lead people to Jesus. Pastors and ministers that won't lead people into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Pastors and ministers that won't lay hands on the sick. And the reason they say is, what if I miss it? What if I lay hands on the sick and I command healing on someone and they don't get healed? What if they do? Just depends on how humble you are. If you won't step out because you're going to make a mistake, you will never, ever make it. But if you don't care about the mistake and you're going to do what your father told you, look out. I laid hands on people. I irritated the fire out of people for like a year. I, lit- I would go looking for sick. When I first found out about these truths, <laughs> Kay and I were, I was 20 years old. She was 18. I was 20. And I heard... I didn't know that anybody had ever seen a miracle in, in 2,000 years. And when I found out about these truths, like, wait, we can lay hands on the sick? We can see this kind of stuff? I was like, all right. And I was laying hands on people, and they were getting irritated at me. I got kicked out of family functions. We were, we were, like, <laughs> we were like lepers to the rest of the world, and they were like, and it was like, a, I didn't see anybody healed. I didn't see any miracles. I didn't see anything. And I'm like, dear Lord, what is wrong besides me? <laughs> and that was pretty much it. So I just kept at it. And then I seen a miracle. And then I seen someone healed. And then I seen someone healed. And then I seen a miracle. And then I seen someone healed. And then I seen a miracle. And I seen... 
And then you start having like, I've seen blind eyes open. Well, that'll mess with you. Right? Because then John chapter 5, it says, No one since the history of mankind has ever seen the eyes of someone born blind opened up. Like, even the Bible says, like, that's a cool thing. And I'm like, when I seen the first blind eyes open, it freaked me out so much that I took off. I'll tell you the story one day. But I, like, took off because I was scared. I I was like, man, what happened? (laughs) The father was like, you're so cute. (laughs) And then I seen deaf ears open. That was cool. You ought to see the face of someone who's never heard before, who hears. It's Those are the things that, like, you can't, those are memories you don't lose. And you see the dead race. I don't know what you do for fun, but I'll bet you 50 bucks that's better. Whatever movie you want to go watch because it's your favorite movie, you see blind eyes open, you see deaf ears open, you see someone raised from the dead. You see cancers fall off of people? I've seen tumors fall off. Fall off of people. Whatever, whatever you do as a hobby, put it up against that. But it didn't happen at first. It was super frustrating. One of the best things that happened to me is I went to Mexico. I got out of America. Because Americans are hard to convince that they need to be healed because they have doctors. And the other thing is, is that while you're in America, you think like America. You go somewhere else, you quit thinking like America. You quit thinking like America, and you'll actually start thinking like God. And if you think like God, then you're going to see things that God sees. (laughs) That's why I tell people, like, shut off the TV. Cancel all the accounts. Get out of social media, because they're just messing with you. It's the sewage of the world flowing through you, and some of it sticks. All right. Kay would like to share one more thing. Well, I had a two-parter to my answer. Um, one of the other things that um, that I desire very much to do when I minister to people, when I encourage people, is I'm giving them the word, not giving them my experience or what's happened to me or. or like, I, I really want to hear the Father's voice for a scripture or something out of the, the Bible that I can give to them. Because that is the incorruptible seed. And, I, and that, no matter, um, no matter what manifests or doesn't, that seed is implanted. The Word of God is incorruptible. It is powerful. It, it is what we stand on every day of our lives is his word and his promises. And that's what I want to hand to people. That's what I want to give to people. So even though I might not do it perfectly, I might not say everything perfectly, but if I gave them the word of God for them and their situation, they can grasp a hold of that. Not me, but the word, his word, his promise for them. They can take that and they can grab that. And if it's in their heart, Satan cannot feel it from them. God will bring that back to their remembrance. Remember that word that you were given? Remember that promise I I gave you through that person? So that's one of the desires of my heart is to always give someone the word, give someone scripture, give someone his promise for them in their situation. Because that will never fail, ever. 
We might, but that will not. One of the one of the reasons this church is here, I was uh, to to testify to what she is saying. I was um, I was super crazy drunk and covered in the filth of whatever woman I was with, and I went to try to wash it off in the shower. I was puking on myself, and it was just terrible. And so I'm in the shower trying to wash off the world. <laughs> Anybody ever been there? Um, it doesn't work. You don't, it doesn't wash off. You can be in the shower for days. It doesn't wash off. And so I'm in there trying to wash off the guilt, shame, condemnation, brokenness, and it's not washing off. And I heard, um, I quoted in, with my mouth, I quoted almost all of John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer. While I'm standing in the shower, drunk, puking on myself, trying to wash off the smell of whatever gal was in my bed. Because when I was a little kid, I read the Bible and read the Bible. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. I didn't get any power from it. I didn't get any understanding from it, but I read it. And I'm, and this church, one of, that was, that was like the turning point for me to start walking away from that life. While I'm drunk, in a shower, puking on myself, trying to wash the nasty off. And John chapter 17, from like the very beginning, almost the entire chapter started flowing out of my mouth. It wasn't my head, it wasn't my brain, it was my spirit man that was crying out for my father. And it starts off, oh righteous father. Can you imagine being drunk, standing in a shower, trying to wash off the nasty? And my apartment was super jacked up. There was people passed out everywhere all the time. It was a nonstop, like, typical bachelor pad. There was puke on the floor, food on the floor, bugs and nasty. It was a terrible, terrible place. And I'm standing in the shower. Probably people still drunk outside the shower door. I don't even know if the shower was, door was shut. I know we didn't have a shower curtain, so I... So I'm standing there. I could imagine one of my drunk friends laying on the floor, half passed out, hearing me in the shower saying, Oh, righteous Father. <laughs> they were probably like, Whoa. But that was the start of it. So what she's saying, especially for you parents that can, are concerned about your kids, give them the word. They don't need you for a friend. They need the father for a father. The worst thing you could do is be your friend's be friends to your children. They got plenty of friends. They only got one mommy, one daddy, and one father. They need mommy and daddy and father. Amen. All right, I would like to bless you. you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of this precious, life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, 
you who are greatly loved by the Father. I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon.